Okay, we're on to the, the we're going right in the in the altar. The altar is um, we're holding in Tikkun Hamidois, and we just done the scenario of Shaul Hamelech, where we saw how his small bias caused a complete blind blindness in regard to seeing his faults, and now we go on. And we're on page, uh, I don't know where it is in your Lamatest. We're on page Lamatest, the paragraph beginning with the paragraph beginning with Elohu Adava Sheomanu. No? No? We're actually on page. Yeah, we're on page Mem, which was a mistake. I apologize for the person who misled us there. Apologize for his very being, but also for the misleading. And now let's go on to page, page Mem, and the paragraph, paragraph begins, Kan Yishal HaMavakesh. Um, if you've got my gears, it is a poi Yishal HaMavakesh. What happened to you getting up so let's just review quickly the the the, the altered voice he said that when it says in the Gemara in Sukkah that to the tzaddikim the Yetzirah appears as a Haragavoya, mighty mountain, to the Rishayim as a hair's breadth. The way he explained it was that the way the Gates of attempts a person to ultimately undermine his entire being is by incrementally moving him away from the true purpose. One tiny little thing after the next eventually leads to complete departure from the path of truth. Just don't worry, it's enough. If you don't have to go to the restaurant. You just have to say that you'll meet them afterwards. And then, well, while I'm there, I might as well walk inside. And while I'm inside, I might as well have a Coke until eventually I end up eating the big double Mac. But it all happens increment, incrementally. So since that's true, the, the tzaddikim, when they see the Yetzirah trying to take away even the most minuscule step of spiritual endeavor, they resist and they say, I know where this is going. It's leading me down the path which will be like a mighty mountain and they resist the temptation. Whereas the Russia, he sees the hair's breadth incremental de- decline in its own right and therefore he never protects himself against it and hence he's led until ultimate Distraction. That's what the altar said. So he says, if that's true, if the reality is such, that this tiny little hair's breadth is really a mountain because that's where it's going to lead you. It's going to lead you all the way down. Why can't the Russia see that? Where does the Russia's problem lie? In other words, the Russia is the one that doesn't resist the, the initial small, 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 minute temptation to drop his level of avoidance and shame slightly. Why? You know, the truth is, I've been going to this minion on Shabbos, but it takes two and a half hours. Why don't I go for the two hour minion? You never know where they will lead you to. You never know. So, how come the Russia doesn't see that? How come he doesn't? And he's probably, probably experiences in life as well. So, how come he doesn't have the chokhmah to chap? This is where things are going. It's because no one gets to see that mountain. Um, 
A person never sees his mountain. He can't even imagine it. So he says as follows. He says that how come the person doesn't spot this 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 mountain? And he says it's because you can't see it. Um, this is a kind of mountain that you can put it on top of the person and you live. What kind of mountain is this? It's the mountain that the Yetzirah brings upon the person through one thread or another thread is really this high which is like a barrel, meaning it's got a hollow inside and therefore a person can creep into that hollow and walk around. But you can't get out and you'll be buried there. When a person searches his ways he sees the mountain is a barrel. Hagigis einenem mesach mavdil ba'adahar. This barrel isn't some type of screen between the mountain. Even though you see people living inside of it. The external the, 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 the luster, the flesh, which you can see, doesn't blind the eyes for this person, the tzaddik, to see the mountain because he knows that in the course of time they'll become trapped. Whereas the Russia runs after the, 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 the glitter. He sees people walking around. And he doesn't see that once he gets caught in there, he'll just land up being trapped. In other words, this is how the altar is describing this mountain in the, na- in the analogy that the Gemara and Sukkah brings. He says, this har is invisible because it's quite, it's quite ambiguous. Because you see people living very peacefully in the har. You, the hair is almost it's transparent and you can see them and they're going about life and it looks quite geschmack. The problem is there's a seduction. Outside there looks gewaldic and you don't see the boundaries of the mountain constricting the person. It looks like they're living a happy life. So when you don't see the boundaries, you don't see the finite um, parameters in which, way they are tra- in which they are trapped and you don't see that's where they will end. As a result, it becomes quite appealing. Only if a person's got the sense of farsightedness to see beyond, is he able to perceive that this is really extremely restricting and they'll be trapped inside this mountain. It's, it's a, it, it, it echoes of many different analogies brought, brought in literature. One of them being, in there's a book which is a children's book, but uh, there's a part of me which is a child. <laughs> it's called Watership Down. It's about rabbits. It's about rabbits that have the sense of foreboding. Um, that someone's coming to destroy them. Actually, what's happening is <laughs> their warren is going to be uprooted because they're like building a building, which is a fascinating twist on how rabbits see construction advancement for the architects amongst us. <laughs> so they, 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 like, for them, it's like this doom is coming upon them. Their homes are going to be ruined. And for the, like, the builders, it's, hey, we're building a building. So the animals have to immigrate. They have to migrate. They have to immigrate. They have to migrate. <laughs> So they start to travel and they get to this place where you see these rabbits 
he looks so so luscious they've got these shiny furs and they are like the most gewaldige geschmacke handsome rabbits you ever did see in your life and they kind of get into like this, this they like manage to like go into the warren where the rabbits live and they realize that there's something very strange there's all this kind of like of course they speak rabbit's tongue and there's this there seems to be some topic which no one ever discusses like no one ever like points out that certain rabbits disappear from time to time and no one can kind of figure out what happens to them but they're living in the lap of luxury so that discussion is just not dis- spoken about and then these visiting rabbits figure out what's happening is the reason why these rabbits are looking so geschmack and gewaldic <coughs> is because the farmer throws carrots for them to feed on and all good stuff and they eat it but of course the reason why he's doing it is because he's fattening them up and then he sets traps and every now and then a rabbit goes missing and lands up in your soup so the whole luxu- luxury that they experience is because there's a bitter twist in the luxurious existence it's the ultimate golden cage so the way the altar describes this life is the golden cage that you're free to be a person within this lap of luxury but it's essentially that's your trap that's your prison that's your burial place so it goes on the altar and he says let's make another marshal a person looking at the world is like the fly that looks at the glass that's coming to trap flies. So imagine you're trying to, you've you got flies which are trapped in a glass bottle. So the external fly looks and he says, wow! That place looks like it's magic, like that's all where my chevra are. <laughs> like all oh, my buddies are hanging out in this place. This is amazing. Whoa, what a club. They <laughs> start to find, what way can I get into this? This, this is a place, man. This is all happening. Yeah, bring it on. Ultimately, he lands up going there and he lands up drowning. This is why a person that wants to have two worlds. A person that thinks he can live in two worlds at the same time, ultimately he'll be trapped there. Um, like a dog who's chained up, and that's where he'll die. The tzaddik looks, at the, looks upon the world as a city that's been conquered. People are walking around, but they can never leave. It's a little bit like Hotel California. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. For reference of those of you old enough. See, people still know some. Okay? It's a wonderful place, but you can never leave. Welcome to Hotel California. Such a lovely place. Kamoshi Mataka. Kamoshi Matu is my name at all. Lohen ain't right to ask him, Mom, this agate etzlam. So the Tzaddik understands what's going on. So he doesn't agree to them and he doesn't become one of them. Because ultimately the life is not a life. And each one gets pulled off to his friend. And therefore he pays attention. For every which won't guide him until he absolutely loses his freedom of choice. And to be a 
member of the group that wherever they get, they will never return. That's the tzaddik. He holds back from that. The rosh is different. He looks at the city and he doesn't see what's beyond it. He doesn't see the evil inside of it. He sees the temptation. But it looks so good. It looks so inviting. I need the new Z4, Z4, BMW. And he's immediately seduced and gets lost. And he becomes a nothing. Oh, yo, yo, di 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 di. So that's, that's the temptation people get sucked into the world and they think no but you need and it happens very again it happens see people are normal healthy rational individuals and then you see them agonizing these are human beings who are rational thinkers you see them spending hours of heartache about the color of the tiles in their bathroom literally literally they'll spend time they'll devote not minutes not hours Days and oh no, and you can't believe it. And this guy bought these tiles, and they just don't go because if you go from the down and the upstairs, and then you see the tiles, and go, normal human beings, human beings, they'll, they'll have discussions about what color their cars should be and how tinted the tinted windows should be. They'll go into a shop and they'll look on the collar to see if there's a little insignia because that will make them bigger. No, I know it sounds, it sounds insane, it sounds like these people are lunatics, but I know people like this, I know you probably don't know people that they feel much bigger if there's someone galloping across their chest for somehow maybe it's the hound of the hoofbeats I don't know exactly what it is could be could be the hound of the hoofbeats hound of the hoofbeats that could be it I don't know what it is but somehow they feel bigger they feel bigger they feel way bigger it's galloping the wrong way and um, <laughs> there are people like this there are people like this people like this that feel that that they can do these things and they can wear these clothes and they can sport those watches and they can wear those eyeglasses and they can have that hairstyle. There she are. Well, Bochdan Emmett. They get, yeah, not my Nissan. No Nissan for me and gel. Is a Nissan for me and scalp polishing liquid. Different type of Nissan. So, they. <laughs> The altar began, this is the Kasha, the Medrash says that when the Yidin were brought to Har Sinai, the Rebbeinu Sholem lifted up the mountain like a barrel dusker, like a gigis. And he said, if you accept the Torah, good. If not, you'll be trapped there forever. And they were seemingly under coercion. Whereas in the time of Achashverosh, when they were seduced by the party that he offered to the many people, that's when they did tshuva and they accepted the Torah with an own volition, with ultimate sincerity. And the altar had asked, he doesn't understand, the people at the time of, of Matan Torah were on the level of Adam Yishun Kodamachet. They needed the coercion and the people who had sunk to the loneliness of physical indulgence, they didn't need the coercion. There's something amiss, is there not? said the altar. Now the altar comes to reconcile this difficulty. And doth he say the following? What's the difference between these two time periods? At the time, when they understood what the Torah was. They saw what the Torah was. They saw the Torah was. They saw a person <laughs> who chases after his own personal desires. 
Ay, his career. Oh, his gashmes dika zachen. Oh, nebach. Who Moshe Chalavitz Kolahai brings the mountain upon him. They saw that with clarity that he brings the mountain upon him. And he saw that they saw he'd be trapped under the mount, mountain until it would take him out of Torah and out of the world. When they reached the level of understanding, they were able to see how lowly they were. How lowly they were at the beginning and the end. That this tiny little fault will bring them to this being trapped underneath this mountain. Until they have to be buried there. They have no experience from life to make this deduction. They never had the opportunity to know it. They were never found underneath the mountain and saved from it. So they never had the perception that this tiny little hair's breadth could bring to this trapped under the mountain. They got it from the understanding. And it was so clear to them that when they saw the people driven underneath this mountain, that they were totally under the subjugation of their evil inclinations. So from this rabbi said, this is in fact a undermining of the Torah. Why? What does it mean that Akash Bokhu suspended the mountain over them like a gigis? In other words, they understood that at the level they were at, it was so blindingly obvious to them that if they fell prey to the Yetzer, they would land trapped underneath this mountain. This led them to make this claim that they were under duress. That that recognition wasn't able to stay with them because it was built from the lofty madrega, not from the life experience. In other words, the way the Alt explains, it wasn't the Rebbein Sholem lifted up the mountain above them and said, guys, you better accept this or else. That was their level of realization. The level of realization was, are you a fool? Are you insane to be drawn after the, 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 the illusory pleasures of Olam Azeh? That's just, that's just sheer lunacy. No one would do that. But that was based on the fact that they were holding in a Madrega where the things were absolutely clear-cut. So there was no room for confusion. They were Odomerish and Kodemachet. So they saw the Sheker in Olam Azeh. So they said, well, that's because of our Madrega. But Rebbeinish Lolam, we can't be held responsible for not keeping the Torah because now that we've sunk, it doesn't appear that way. Now that we've sunk, the temptations of the world aren't clearly wrong to our perception because our perception has declined. And therefore, how can we expect to keep the Torah in our lonely Madrega? That's how the altar learns the claim of Moidor Rabbah. You're following? Moidor Rabbah means we were under duress. Not that we were under duress, meaning that HaKosh Baruch Hu forced us, but that our recognition forced us to make decisions that when we lose that recognition, we no longer have the clarity and the breadth of understanding to make the same decisions. And hence, now it's like we are forced.
fascinating pshat. Loi came be mechashverish, but when they got to the time of achashverish, kios he curious our Torah and then they realized what would happen when you left the Torah, because they were seduced by the pleasures of the physical. They got drawn into the world of nature. They saw that living a life of compromise wouldn't work because they saw that it backfired with them because uh, they, they tried to kind of go to the go, well, kosher food. Yeah, food's kosher. Kosher, you know. But it didn't help. They saw that by indulging in the Suda, they almost got just wiped out from the world. They were only saved through a miracle. And the only way they got back to it was through the keeping of the Torah. Then they understood Oz, and understood from the point of lacking. That only Torah can bring a person to true success. That was how they kept what was already received. And now we get rid of the, the claim that they had. Because this is a level of understanding that they can't decline from. Because they understood from being in the state of fallen state, that's how they grow based on the They saw what the Matantori door saw. The, in their generation, they're able to perceive what the generation of the Matantori saw. In other words, In other words, that was the, the godless of, of the door of Achashverosh is they understood from experience what leaving the Torah would take them to. What happened to the door of Achashverosh is they went to the city of Achashverosh thinking, you know, what's a problem? We'll still keep Amin Hagim, it's Badat's Hechshet, it's Al's good and Gavaldic. But you know, no, no, doesn't hurt anyone. I mean, we have to live in the real world, don't we? Well, yes, but then you'll die. Living in the real world is committing Jewish suicide. Jews do not live in the real world. There is no place for a Jew in the world of nature. It doesn't exist. Because if, if Jews are in the world of nature, they cease to have any sense of existence based on where they came from. The Jews came from a supernatural place. Sarah, sorry, Mayna, was barren. Rifki Mayna was barren. She couldn't have children. The only way she had children was through something which went above and beyond the level of nature. Avram Abinu was brought out of his insignificance. He has taken out of his muzzle. Because in the world of nature, there is no place for the Jew. The Jew can only exist in the world of supernature. When the cause and effect is not given over to natural laws, but it's given over to the supernatural laws of the Torah. And the minute the Jew starts to abide by the natural laws, the world revolts against him and seeks to annihilate him. Because if you're in nature, then you have no, you have no right to be a citizen. And if you trace the themes in anti-Semitism, you'll find that there's a consistent theme. The theme is, the Jew doesn't belong in the world, he's a parasite having no right of citizenship. There's not a country in the world that would have the gall to go to another country and say, you do not have a right of existence. Whereas when it comes to anti-Zionism, it's perfectly legitimate to say that. The anti-Zionists can claim and be backed by the extreme right making an ally with the extreme left, because Muslims have now become leftist in modern political circumstances, even though they're most 
extreme right-wing people, they now have a left-wing connotation because of Palestine. You can say, you Jews have no right of existence. And you can say you should be driven into the sea and the world can say 100% and no one links an eyelid. And this has happened throughout history. Because the minute we say, we here in this world, the world reflects the reality and says, you don't have a place in this world. Your only place is in the world of supernature. The minute you try to live as we do, so you're not a part of this. You were never a part of this. You don't belong in this world. You only belong in the world which is above nature. The minute you try to sink into the world of nature, the world says, spits you out terribly. That's the Makor. That's the Makor. That's the Makor of what our tragedy is. That's the Makor of the Jews being hated. It all comes from this notion of we try to live in the world. The minute you live into the world, you've lost the battle. We are above the world. We are above the world. The normal laws of cause and effect do not apply to us. And the minute you try to live a world which straddles, a life which straddles both, yeah, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you've lost the battle. There's no such thing as compromise in Judaism. Judaism is an extreme religion. It doesn't advocate a moderate life. It's extreme. It involves absolute self-sacrifice. And if you look at the survival of Judaism, it only survives amongst those groups that have that in their system, in their dogma. Any factor of fa- faction of Judaism which has one even small, minuscule compromise, ultimately that small compromise goes from one level to another, to another, to another, and lands up in total assimilation. Because there is no room for you existing outside of the context of absolute wholehearted devotion. He has to live in a different world. Granted, to the eyes of the, those observing outside, it seems extreme. But once you're inside, it's the most natural place for you to be. It's the most fulfilling and liberating experience. And on the contrary, as Alta has said, and we've said it many times, people looking outside at the religious world think, poor people, they don't get to enjoy this world, but at least they get to go to heaven. From the inside you see the opposite. We may not get to go to heaven, at least we have a Geshmak or Because when a person makes a transition, he breaks the threshold of compromise, and he's able to devote himself wholeheartedly to the world of Torah, so then life becomes a glorious celebration. Until that point in time, it becomes a position of angst and self-doubt and conflict that's miserable. You can't enjoy not this world and not the next. Even if you enjoy this world, it becomes subjugation, it becomes So the altar is giving us a key to happiness, a key to liberation, and the way to go is absolute extremism. So here's the altar. Umahus ha and the nature of the acceptance of Torah was such, so how was it? A person the Jewish people as a whole put forward Naaseh before Nishma Biurei ala Naaseh enkan shikul adas klalish kol im laasois im shila laasois they never said we'll weigh up should we do it shouldn't we do it maybe yes may ela kol ashikul adas he achar Naaseh the weighing up comes after we say the Naaseh acham esiris nafshay lekabes ater toich lishkol betoich ater ech laasois in other words we've said this idea many times before that the Naaseh the Nishma was a re creation of the Jewish self. Naase means an absolute unwavering commitment to do as the Torah will tell us how to act in the future. And when the Torah tells us how to act, <coughs> our only evaluation will be, how can I keep the Torah in this context? Not, should I keep the Torah? But, how do I do it? We're living in the world of Naase. 
And the minute a person delves into only the only shikul on his mind, how he weighs things up, is how best to fulfill what the rotson of the boy is in this particular situation. As long as that is driving force, so he's in the world of Torah, he's whole way of measuring things is supernatural because it's defined by laws beyond the natural and he's within the world of turn he's living a life of absolute happiness celebration from the outside looks extreme the minute he tries to say well i don't know about this Torah law maybe we have to tone things down for our generation do you know what i'm saying we have to be real we have to cater into consideration we weren't the people of last year but when god made his Torah, it was kind of eternal but not so much for me when eternal, yes, the Torah is eternal, but I'm not. I don't know exactly how that argument works. Pashtas, it doesn't. The person has to choose what the Torah is chosen without mixing in your own personal biases and midas. Do not rely on your own thinking ability in the slightest. To choose or not to choose. It's clear. The Torah can't bring you to something which is going to harm you. What are you worried about? What are we all worried about? We're worried about if we give ourselves completely over to the Torah, we're going to lose out. Because we look at the Torah as a thief. The Torah is coming to steal our lives from us. So the less of the Torah we give in, so the better off we are, because we have less of our life stolen from us. Why do we feel that? Because we feel we'll lose out by giving over to, to the Torah. We feel that the Torah will be damage our being. That, well, what do you mean if I do that? What's going to be with my relationship to my, to my brother and my sister? And, and what about my career? And how am I going to go back to the boss and say to him, I want to have these long prayers regardless of how it's going to influence the clients. <laughs> and where my titties on the outside. And shackle. <laughs> if those would be Jewish requirements. I'm not saying now. I'm saying as an example. How am I going to go back into the working world and leave early on Shabbos? I can't do it. I can't do it. I have to kind of, I'll walk back from the office. How's that for a compromise? And the minute you do that, you lost the plot. You've lost the plot. Hello, you have to realize that the Torah says it's the way you can choose it and feel absolutely secure. It will bring you no bad, only good. That what appears to give you restrictions will give you liberation. What appears to give you Torah will give you happiness. Without the Torah, the world would not cease, would not exist. We say that jealousy, desire, and the self-esteem take a person from this world. Search for honor. Self-honor, others honor. And the Torah is a bridge of iron, which supports a person that he shouldn't fall in to the stormy waters of life. You have to think only within the framework of Torah. How you can de- deepen it and broaden it. We call out starting from all sides. So that all your actions should be done with absolute perfection. And you shouldn't lack even the slightest, minutest part of Torah. So he's saying a very important point, if I can just elaborate upon it. There's two ways of approaching the Torah. One of approaching the Torah is, I have my life. I have my desires, I have my career, I have my goals. And I've also got the Torah. And I have to kind of figure out how do those two things marry? How can I continue with my life and also do the Torah? The minute you start thinking those terms, you have destroyed 
your connection to Torah. Because if you play a part, if your life plays in the part, and you see that as something external to Torah, so that's, that means that you believe that there's something else about the Torah. So you're living in a world where there's something else operating. A person's correct way of evaluating how he should live his life is based on the following shikul. What does the Rebbeinu Sholem want from me? I have talents, I have goals, I have aspirations. How does the Torah inform me in terms of realizing those goals, aspirations and talents? How does the Torah plot my life with my particular talents and abilities, with my context historically, geographically? Where does the Torah guide me to do it? And then I'm absolutely bound by that conclusion. The notion of, but I want, doesn't come into the picture. What you want doesn't make a difference. What you want could be leading you to a path of absolute being caught in this golden cage that you can never escape from. You want you, hey guys, who wants the keys to lock themselves in a prison? Yeah, come and take the keys. I want to go to that prison. You have to realize this world is much bigger than, than that which meets our eyes. And why would we want to trap ourselves into eternal smallness if we could liberate ourselves to greatness? Why would we want to do that? Why would we want to exchange a world of joy, of unlimited simcha for a world which is bound by finite parameters and will lead us to trials and tribulations? Who would want to do that? Who, which same, no same person wants to do it. So how do we do it? Because it's a principle. Because we're not saying we seduced by we we were intoxicated by the drugs of modern existence until we become become intoxicated by materialism intoxicated by search for honor intoxicated by fame and fortune until until we can't even think without them we can't consider life who needs who needs you, do you actually need do you physically need a house made of bricks and mortar What's wrong with the tent? What's wrong with the tent? People, people lived in tents for, for thousands of years. Become a Bedouin. Bedouin do it until this day. Say you can't. It's impossible. Well, I'll introduce you to Ahmed Mala. And he's been doing it. And he's, and he's tatties doing his tatties, tatties doing his tatties, tatties. It can be done. But we've got, in our mind, we've got these fixed parameters of, no, uh, it's not humanly possible. No, 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 it's perfectly humanly possible. It's just not your priority because you want to live your life like the way you want to live it. So that's how we trap ourselves. We trap ourselves in these tiny little cages. We lock the door and then we chirp like happy canaries and we caress the golden path. Isn't this beautiful here? Look, come, let me show you around my cage. It's so comfy, it's so cozy. Mmm, so secure. Break out. Why don't you break out and live a life of spirit? And live a life of the triumph of the spirit. That you're not limited and sucked into the littleness of life. You can defy the laws of nature. You can overcome sleep and the desire for food and the search for honor. You can have that all. Why would you put yourself in those horrible little cages? Why? But that's where we are. How do we escape from our cage? We'll be continuing on.